Please note that this episode contains explicit discussions on suicide. Discretion is advised. If this topic raises any concerns for you, please reach out to the support numbers linked in the episode description. This comes back from the depression once again. The day that I stood in my backyard, um, I was contemplating taking my life and there was four Aboriginal men came from out from behind the tree. There's no way I could lie about this, but it happened. It happened. And they turned around and um, the, what they said to me was, um, you've been given a second chance at life, now use it. And it stuck with me ever since. So that's been over 20 years, you know, and um, that was sort of like my turning point. My name is Teresa Hudson and I'm the coordinator of the Community Information Centre in Townsville. In today's episode of Brave, I sit down with Gudula artist Tanya Alt from Chartist Towers. Tanya is a leader in her community, constantly pushing to make things better for everyone, from housing to education to tourism. But it's been a long journey to get to where she is today, having learned to embrace her artistic nature and Indigenous heritage to overcome debilitating mental health issues. This episode was produced across the lands of the Bindal, Woolgarugaba and Gujula people. The Community Information Centre pays respects to First Nations people and acknowledges their ongoing connection to country and culture. You know, I've been through that worst stage in my life, but it's growth as well, you know, and it's self-realisation and it's um, learning about yourself and learning about who you are, about your limitations and all that type of thing. So... What have you learned about yourself? I've learned that I'm an articulate person. When it comes to my art, I am to the point of being a perfectionist. I will, um, I'm quite open about that, quite honest about that, because that's my art, you know, like that's what I present to the world. And, and if people are going to look at my art, they're going to see the best of me, you know, and that's what's going to come out. So I do that. And um, then when it, like speaking about like anxiety and all that, I'd actually had um, a... I relate these stories like in story form because that's the way they happen to me and I'm just like, they, they, it, none, nothing is a coincidence, you know. It, um, I, when my mum passed away and like, um, and I had, I actually had a, a mental breakdown, you know, and um, that was really hard to deal with. And, and when you've never had depression before or you've never had anxiety, you've got no idea what you're looking at and you've got no idea how to deal with it. The first time I ever knew that I had anxiety, I was pregnant with Cameron and we were living in Brisbane. And I, I said to Richard, I said, because he went to work and, um, and he said, you're going to be right to get to the, to the hospital, you know, and so you had to catch public transport. So I was on my own and I jumped on the train and um, I had a panic attack and I got on at one station and I got off at the next. I just couldn't do it. And then that's, that's when I had my very first panic attack and I was like, what the heck is happening here? It was so scary, you know, like people talk about, like, you feel like you're having a heart attack. You do, you know, honestly, you do. And um and all I could think about was my baby and all that type of thing. And, and um, What did so you do to pull yourself out of it? It was sort of like a little, um, I just thought it was like a phase. I just thought I'm just having a bad day or something to do with the pregnancy or something like that. It wasn't, it was totally not, not normal and it wasn't right, you know. And so I was just like, what the heck is happening? And then I didn't talk to anyone because I didn't know what, what was going on. And um, so then... Like I'd had him and everything, and like and I hadn't had another panic attack. And I thought, oh, this is fine. I was just having an off day, blah, blah, blah. And then um, time sort of went by and I, I hadn't addressed it. 
it got so bad, you know, like it was really bad for me. And what happened was um, over time, I'd go down to the shops. Like by that time, we'd moved back up here to Charles Towers, and like I went, I would go down the shops to go and do shopping. And um, so I'm pushing the grocery trolley around, and like I'm putting groceries in the in the trolley, and it's like I couldn't finish it. And so I'd I'd run back out, you know, and um, and this it's debilitating. It really is, you know, and like and I couldn't just um deal with it and I was just like what is going on you know and um and um like the then like breathing deep and then you catch your breath and you're just like you just couldn't breathe and it's like and this it stopped me from going out like forever and I just felt like I couldn't go anywhere I couldn't do anything so for me I just wanted to sleep and um so if I sleep during the day I couldn't sleep at night so I'd be up all night so um didn't know really what was going on you know like and no one talked about it and it wasn't until the lady that was um, looking after my kids at kindy, she came around to the house. I don't even, and I still don't know why she was there. And she looked at me and she said, Tanya, she said, I need to take you to the hospital. She said, I'll take the boys. She said, no, I'll um, get someone to look after them. And I'm taking you straight to the hospital. And um, so, and I still say to her to this day, you know, like, and I, I, don't, I think she sort of plays it down. But I said to her, I said, you honestly saved my life, you know, that day. I said, it was just saying the difference between you being there and you not being there. I said... It would have been all over Red Rover and I wouldn't have, um, wouldn't have been anything you could have done about it, you know. And um, Isn't that amazing because we look at them as just yeah, the kindy teacher or yeah. just the educator for your kids yeah. but she completely stepped out of her yeah. lane that day. And she and, read me and, and um, they were fantastic at the hospital. Charter Stairs, um, like our little um, hospital, you know, country hospital and they all looked after me so well and um, I was put on under five-minute um, suicide watch for the first 24 hours and even then, I was just going off my head, and um, just, just, you just lose all control of your mind. Your mind isn't there, and you're, you're panicking. And you're trying to get your mm. common sense back, and all that, and you just, you don't know. And um, and I was in hospital that day, and um, they just really looked after me, and um, just took care of me, and everything. And like it had hit like really um, bad, sort of um, the way that it was, obviously, you know, as it did. So then yeah. the anxiety became more than just anxiety. Yeah. You were now depressed yeah. as well? Yeah, and um, so I think the depression, I think that sort of, um, I was just really low. When I look back and I can see, you know, like at each stage where I was, having two little boys, you know, like and your, your kids are everything, you know, and as a mum, you know, and you're like, They've got to come first, you know, like you've got to do everything you can for them first. And then, um, so then they put me in hospital and um, I was in there for a week. And I did all that, did everything they said, um, went and had counselling. What was, was that like? Because you'd, you've mentioned a few times where you would had your panic attacks, mm. that you kind of just kept it to yourself. You didn't say anything or talk yeah, about it. And all yeah, of a sudden right. now you're sitting... In yeah, front of a stranger. Yeah, and um, I think um, my counsellors were really great. And, you know, like people go on about our hospital saying, you know, like, um, oh, you know, the service and all that and everything else. Oh, mate, that time I know I would have ended up in Townsville, you know, at the mental health unit they've got. And it was a long weekend. It was an Easter long weekend. And um, the nurse, one of the nurses had said to me, she said, Tanya, she said, don't go trying anything silly, she said, because... We will not hesitate to send you to Townsville and that's where you will stay. And then the image that I got in my head was that I was going to be separated from my kids. And um, that's what stopped me. And I was just like, oh, you know. And then by that time, the medication had sort of, it, you know, take about a week to, to kick in, mm. you know. And um, so I had to be patient with myself so I could sort of like figure out what I was going to do next. And, and is that um, your next? Was that when you turned to art? 
with me, anything with me, like um, if something like 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 that, you know, like um, that affected me, I um, I won't turn my back on it. I won't ignore it. I won't feel embarrassed about it. I want to learn about it. I want to know what what caused that happen, caused mm. that to happen. So I went out and bought all these books. So I read so much, and oh, like you know, like um, books like um, Dale Carnegie and people like that. That like really old stuff, but like um, it was still apt even in today society. You know, like really old stuff. And and I just sort of thought, you know, like, and I took a bit of this and I took a bit of that, you know, and blah blah blah. And um, then I'd go back and I'd have my counselling and I'd keep to my medication. And I'd go back to the counsellor and um, and she said to me one day. She said this one thing that like really sort of like grated on my nerves and I, and I couldn't work out why um, that I was so upset by that, you know, and um, she said, you have to let your inner child out. And I just like, are you kidding? I've got an inner child. I said, and I argued with her and she said, yeah, she said, everyone has an inner child, you know, she said, you need to let yours come out and play, you know, and all that type of thing. And I was just like, that just was nonsense to me. And I thought, no, I can't um, deal with that. You know, I thought, blah, blah, blah. And then, um. Then one day, and it was like, um, it just occurred to me that there is an inner child, you know, and um, and I see her now, you know, in, in spiritual form, you know, and it's like, oh, there she is, you know, and I'm just like, I've, I I argued with that counsellor and told her, you know, that's rotten, but um, that she was right, you know, and um, and I thought, wow, someone told me something that, you know, because I do sometimes get that way, and I think I know everything, and I don't, you know. <laughs> Just like, okay, okay. Yeah, she put me in my place and um, I think it was just the, the fact that having to deal with it and, and like having it dragged out of me and I think that was the thing, you know, like because I'm usually normally quite strong, you know, I, get, I keep getting called I'm strong and all that and I'm thinking, well, I think it's just circumstance that's made me that way. Once again, like whether you want to call it a coincidence or like just, a, just the way life is or whatever, but someone had approached me and said to me, um, would you like to do the Welcome to Country at our dinner? this year for Mental Health Week and I had about a week to prepare it and because um, and by this time like the panic attacks and anxiety sort of just got to me a little bit too much and I just sort of, it overwhelmed me and um, and I thought I'm going to do this, yeah I'll do it. So I accepted it and I um, did it. I wrote it, I wrote I think it was like three pages for the speech, Welcome to Country, you know, and um, it was all about my mental health journey and um, well I didn't even bother stopping to ask like how many people were going to be there that night and um, yeah so I got there that night and um, they introduced me and everything and I looked around the room I'm like holy heck you know what have I done you know <laughs> I've accepted this invitation and not even asked who was going to be there but it's probably just as well I never because I probably would have backed off and then um, they were doctors, psychiatrists, mental health nurses, um, practitioners, um, people like that and I got up there and I told my story. What and, a perfect um, audience. Yeah and when I finished um, there was a group of women, they were over in the corner, they were just crying. And they were like sniffing and snobbing and everything. And they're just like, oh, that was so beautiful, your speech, girl. Can I have a copy of your speech? And I'm just like, yeah, right, yeah, you can have it. And, I'm, all I, and all I was thinking was, oh, my God, I finally made it through to the end. You know, I actually got to the end and um, told my story. And, was that uh, the first time you've publicly told yeah, your story in that platform? exactly. And, um, and It's pretty brave. Yeah, but, I mean, like everyone just like was just – you just sort of think in your head, you know, everyone's just going to judge you, you know, and then you sort of like, then you give your, give of yourself like that, open up like that, and they're just like, holy heck, you know, you, you're brave for doing that. And now every opportunity I get, I'll talk about mental health. And um, every time I have an exhibition, that is the thing that I um, always talk about 
is mental health. You know, and I say to people, you know, like it's got a stigma attached to it. I said, but I don't care. I will talk about it because that's what needs to happen. You need to talk about it. You need to be open about it because I didn't. And I think what also gave me courage um, and perspective about that too was um, my son and I were talking at home one day. He was probably about 18 or 19 at the time and um, just sitting around the kitchen table and um, must have been just talking about when they were kids and things like that. And he said, the one thing I remember about you, Mum, he said, growing up, he said, every time we went somewhere in the blue car, we were going to the hospital. And I was just like, this is the impression I've given my kid, his one memory I've given him over the years. So, yeah, and I, like even as an adult, you know, like he told me that as an adult, he wasn't a kid when he told me, you know, and, um, and like very adult conversation. We don't have many adult conversations because we're just too busy mucking around being silly. Mm. But um, that was real and that was heart to heart and I was just sort of, yeah, wow, you know, and um, sort of like a bit of feedback about my childhood. <laughs> so what was growing up for you like? Growing up for me, I... Um, I can honestly say there is no other kid that had my childhood. I, um, my dad was very old school. He was 52 when I came along. Mum was 44. My mum is Aboriginal. My dad is non-Indigenous. He's um, a white fellow all the way from Lakes Entrance. He came up here in the 1960s before I was born, obviously. And um, Charters Towers is, how do I pronounce it, Gunjala country? Gunjala. Gunjala. Yeah, Gunjala. If you've been to Lake's entrance, like that's as far removed from Charter Stairs as you could ever meet. And I think his main reason for moving up here was because of the weather. And so he lived, he moved up here and he lived here and um, all those years. And um, and my dad, he was um, he was like a jack of all trades. He'd actually been in the Navy. He'd been all around the world during the Second World War and all that type of thing. Um, he was a good um, stockman. He could ride a horse. And um, he was just hands-on, you know, and I think he just comes from a generation that, that you had to be. And um, so he passed away here too, so um, he's buried here in Charterstale Cemetery, just like my mum. And um, yeah, I had him for 15 years of my life and um, he did the best that he could with me to raise me right and uh, to get me ready for the world and all that type of thing. And um, yeah, that's how that story He passed sort of away when out. you were 15? Yeah, when I was 15, two days before my 15th birthday. That and, would have uh, been hard? It was drastic. It was terrible. You know, and my brother, he says to me to this day, you know, I'm 51 this year, to this day, he says to me, he said, you know, he goes, I feel bad. He said, because you pretty much raised yourself. And I was sort of like, and it took a long time for me to sort of like sit with that. And I just sort of like, yeah, it's probably right. You know, and, um, and, I, and I think that's where the whole um, the community um, service type thing comes from because I, you know, I'm just a person that has, needs to help people. You know, and I have to do this and I have to do that, you know, because that's just, um, and I think that's just a byproduct of what's happened to me in my past. Throughout various stages of my life, I've lost my mum, my dad, um, my sister, my nephew and my brother. So I've got lost five people and that's um, played its own way in shaping who I am too. You mm -hmm. know, it's, um, that's um, defining sort of moments and they um, change you as a person. You know, so, so from when your dad passed away at 15 yeah, and then it was just your mum, yeah, she became a big part of your life because her passing was something that really yeah, changed you, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was huge. And um, I think, you know, like I think it's just um, a normal sort of um, humanitarian um, experience. I think, you know, like people, uh, um, you just sort of attach to your mum, you know, and like, and, mm. and I'd, like I've, I've said to people that have had their mothers pass away since, you know, and I always say, 
you know, like even people who haven't had their mothers pass by, I said, you know, when you lose your mum, I said, that's it. I said, you just feel it. I said, so many different ways, but I said, but in the, the same way every day, you know, it's um it's something that sort of like really grabs you. There's, not, it's, there's a piece of you that's just gone. And I've sort of like tried to convert that and turn that around in a way that's positive. And um, I went and lived in Brisbane for six years and... Um, and I realised now there was a, a purpose for that and um, it was to prepare myself to become back to Charterstairs and become a leader. Someone that's prominent within the community through what I do and um, that all just ha all fell into place and um, that had to happen. And it was obvious after a while, you know, I was, was never meant to stay away. It was never meant to be a long-term thing. I was going to just go and get the training and the knowledge and the skills, um, network with people, the same thing, and then come back to Charterstairs and... Um, and it's sort of preparing me. It's prepared me for um, some of the things that are happening and some of the things that have, hap have happened over the years. So it's just, it's just weird the way everything just sort of turns out. And like, and like me, I'm, I live in my head like all the time and I just like these things just pop into my head, ideas. I'm just like, and it's like, it is my um, like ancestral guidance. You know, like I, I talk to my ancestors and my old people all the time, you know, and I was, uh, when I ask for them for guidance and all and leadership and all that type of thing and they provide, they um, prompt me with um, little cues and little ideas and I'm just like, okay, I know where this is coming from and all that sort of thing, you know, just to guide me along and all that type of thing. So I feel really lucky and really privileged, you know, to be Aboriginal. I mix in a lot with the kids up at high school, you know, because that's what they want me to come back all the time, you know, as an honorary sort of elder. So I go up there and I do a lot of stuff. And I always say to the kids, you know, um, you take school for granted because you have that opportunity to go to school. My mother never had that. She was under the Aboriginal Act. Um, so she was in grade four when she was pulled out of school, made to go work in on a cattle station. She was defied that um, that basic right that um, people have now about going to school. You know, and I tell that story. And in my artwork, um, there's a symbol in my artwork that um, when I was doing my research on my family history and um, I had to send them to Brisbane for all this documentation, all this stuff came back with all their files. And um, I was looking at my granddad's papers one day and I was just skimming through and um, and you just look, I don't know, I just wanted to see like his signature. And I looked on this piece of paper and it, it was just his thumbprint because they were never taught how to read and write. They, they, their job was to go and work out in cattle stations and not do anything else. You know, that was um, was expected of them. Um, so that was a defining moment for me. And so then I thought I'm going to make a tribute, send a tribute to him. I call it my silent statement. And it's in every one of my paintings is this, um, this specific symbol. Because I know that when I um, get to talk to school students, I get to bring this up and I have that conversation. I have that um, talk with them and I say, this is what happens when you have an education. You can do anything when you have an education, when you use your brain. The old Aboriginal people never had that, you know, and um, they, they were finally... Um, taken out from underneath the Aboriginal Act um, in 1967 and um, so three years before I was born. So then they were allowed to read and write and everything else, you know, a basic requirement, um, weren't allowed to have it. So that um, that was a whole learning curve for me and a whole, um, I had to sit with that, let that sit with me. Um, I could have got angry with the world and jumped up and down and said, you know, like, why, why did you treat us like that? But you can't, you know, and I just sort of thought, well, this is why my dad made sure I could read and write and, like, I, I should have done more with it. But at the same time, it serves a purpose for me now through my art. So I write um, even when I do my um, my little catalogues for my artwork. When I put them, can put that all together, that's all my writing. That's all my stories, my writing. 
you know. And with run. your workshops and going into the schools, mm. what's your drive? I think a lot of it is um, just young people because I – do you feel I don't the, like? Do you feel the curriculum within its schools covers enough Indigenous culture? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's written into it. But by you going yeah. in, yeah, and doing it's it's yeah, and I think it's more. having a whole um, uh, you know, like uh, teachers, you know, like it's not their fault that they don't know, but I do get a lot of questions, and I say to people, you know, like, yes, I'm a Gujarat woman, but I'm not like um someone that you meet in Central Australia or even up at near Cairns or down in Sydney, I said, we're all different people, you know, like our language is different, our customs, our law is all different, you know, like um, like they'll pull a book out, you know, and, um, oh, can you come and do a book review a book review on this or that or, you know, um, and, you know, like and talk to students about it. And I said, I can't talk to you about that. I said, but I'll talk to you about my own experiences. I'll tell you a whole story. If you want to um, sit down with me for like an hour or so, I will um, tell you, you know, about my, my experiences my mum's experiences, you know, growing up, that's all part of it. And people talk about, like, with Heal Country, you know, like our NAIDOC theme for this year, you know, like, and I gave a talk. Um, I did a Welcome to Country up at the hospital and I just said to them, you know, like, this is what Heal Country means to me. In order for us to heal country, I said, I have to be healed because we're connected to the land. I said, spiritually, we are connected. And um, I call myself a good little woman. You know, I'm not just an Aboriginal woman. I don't even use the word Aboriginal anymore, you know, when I describe myself and who I am, you know, and I use my Aboriginal name, which is Dillinga, um, Silver Brolga. You know, that's my um, my totem so and my story. So Dillinga. Yes. How did you get that? I, I talk a lot about my ancestors and my um, the spirits that are around me. They were always there and I just never, ever knew it. I never acknowledged it until they started showing me signs. And at the time was when I was, like, coming through the depression and everything and it was just like... Am I actually seeing this or is this, you know, some, all part of my head, you know, and, and my mind and my mind space? And I'm thinking, mm, okay. So I was a bit um, dubious about the whole thing. You know, I wasn't um, totally open to spirituality or religion or anything like that. Um, this comes back f- from the depression once again. The day that I stood in my backyard, um, I was contemplating taking my life. I was standing there and there was four Aboriginal men came from out from behind the tree there's no way I could lie about this, but it happened. It happened. And um, they walked out. The, there was They stood beside me. There's one to the left, one to the right, one in front and one behind me. And the only thing they said, when we talk to each other, we talk to each other in language. We don't speak to each other in English, never, ever, because they, they never ever spoke English. So these are old Aboriginal men that have like been around long before um, white people ever came to Australia. So they've been, they've gone back home to the dreaming and they turned around and... Um, the, what they said to me was, um, you've been given a second chance at life, now use it. And that is one thing and it's stuck with me ever since. So that's been over 20 years, you know, and um, that was sort of like my turning point and that's when I stopped struggling, you know, and then I, had, I decided, you know, like, well, how am I going to deal with this? You can only take antidepressants for so long and I, that's why I was so determined to embrace it and to learn about it and, um, you know, do what the doctor says but at the same time, you know, you need to be able to help yourself as well. You know, so I did. And um, they've been with me the whole time, the whole journey. You know, they've been with me. And um, that was when that, um, the whole language thing and, and then the whole um, Brolga thing came along. And, yeah, so that was all. Um, then I, then they started sending me Brolgas, you know, like flying over, the, over, over me in the sky and things like that. And I'm just like, that, I, this, you just, you can't make it up, but it's just something that's happened, you know. And I, and I can't, and I sort of think to myself, I can't think about it too much 
because that's not what you do. That's not what our Aboriginal culture is. It's just, it's just a way of being. It's just who you are. And so that just um, followed me and that's come with me the whole time. You know, and I, when I say to people about um, finding your voice and finding out who you are and your identity, and like young people always say to them, you know, like um, it may not happen for you straight away, but you will know, you know, the time will come when you will be blessed and, and you'll be shown, you know, what your totem is and... Um, and the Aboriginal word and the name for it and everything, it just, it came to me. Because when they talk about dreaming, that's where it comes from. It comes through dreaming, you know, and um, it's not stuff you can make up because it, it actually happens. What issues do the Indigenous community face in the, this regional town still today, do you think? Um, well, when you came here on Thursday and I was heading out the door and I said to you and I'd text you and I said, I've just got to go, I'll, so I'll be up the road. We were staging our own peaceful protest. We have issues with our housing. You know, we've got 40 houses here. We should have more, but we don't. We have 40. Um, and when you say you have 40 houses, 40 mm, houses for Indigenous yeah, families? Yes. Uh, a lot of them are in a dilapidated state. You know, so it's a, uh, I've been, I went down to Brisbane a few months ago and um, so we talked about this um, old ha- whole housing Queensland thing and they... Um, unveiled this um, whole voice to government thing and um, so now we have a voice to government. So we, we're going to see how well that works out. Uh, that was why we had the, um, the the peaceful protests that day is because nothing's been done. You know, I live in one of their houses. So my job was, it was that's why I went up there and I thought, no, I'm going to lend my voice and, you know, so that's one another one of my hats that I wear in the community. So, yeah, it's... Um, Speaking of hats, how many mm, hats do you wear? Good. Housing, education. I've been on that many committees, um, that many um, boards, you know, and um, and it's going to keep going. And, and you know, like I've just been um, put on the tourism board, so um, that's exciting. That 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 excites me because that gets that's where you get to meet people, you get to meet um, new people and experiences, and that incorporates my art with that because that's art's my thing. I got people that tourists that walk in every day and, and um, we just chat, we just talk. And a lot of that is, um, that's not me selling my art. That's my, um, you know, like that's me talking about my culture. and But educating yeah, your culture yeah, exactly. too, isn't educating it? educating people on um, who I am, you know, like and people um, connect art with um, what they know about um, Northern Territory art. And they look at me and they'll just say, and they look around at my art, all the bright colours and everything, like, you know, like, um, I'm, I'm, you know, like, Nothing is like ochre colour. There's nothing, um, it's all bright. And they just like look at me and they say, well, we, we put a painting from up in the Northern Territory, you know, and I'm just like, good on you. You're in Queensland now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice to know. And, um, you know, just, I know that people are just trying to connect with me, you know, and um, and that's fine, you know, but like I say to people, you know, it's not just Northern Territory where you'll buy art. You know, you can buy it in Queensland. You know, you can buy it, you know, anywhere. I'm Yes, I'm Aboriginal. I'm not... And you're not going to find me sitting under a tree. I know that, you know, like, um, you know, sitting there painting, you know, like that's, that's, you know, that's just not me, you know. That's not what, what I, you know, where my, I've brought my art from or where I'm taking it to or whatever, you know. And um, so there's that aspect of it, you know, and trying to open up people's minds, you know, and mindset. Yeah, so that's me. I have to educate people, you know, and I have to talk about um, my life experiences. Who are your biggest influences in your life? My influences. I say um, elders that I've met, 
the people that I've met in Brisbane when I went and um, – because Richard's family is like a rather big family and um, like now, you know, like they're people that um, I've got to know personally through his family and um, like Aunty Jackie Huggins, you know, like she's a professor, you know, and I know her personally and like and, – and she'd stop and she'd talk to me anytime, you know, like um, she, that's just who she is, you know, and um, how she's helped me, you know, and I, I see her on TV probably more than I see anyone else really, you know, and, I, and she's influenced me. Um, through leadership and um, strength and courage and I know their family history too, you know, like, um, but this is like, like Richard, you know, like, oh, this is my auntie, you know, that's who she is, that's what she does, you know, and um, they don't, he doesn't give it a second thought, you know, but they're people that influence me and impress me and like make and force me, I guess, um, to want to be a better person, you know, like um, through what the, they do with their jobs and their lives and everything like that, you know, like, um, I know where they've come from, you know, like as a family, you know, like um, they grew up in the western suburbs of Brisbane, you know, like um, socioeconomics is a um, big influence, you know, when you live in the western suburbs and, 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 you know, and that was an eye-opener for me, you know, to go all the way down there and see how people live, you know, and um, and you sort of like realise, you know, like um, you probably live a bit more of a privileged life than a lot of people do, you know, and... Um, that's just normal everyday people that you come in contact with. I think that's the sort of like the sort of people that um, have bearing upon my life, you know. Like, and um, I say that because like they were the people that taught me how to be Aboriginal, and that sounds like weird, but I didn't have a lot of that when I was growing up. You know, we I think up here because our families were all under the Aboriginal Act. I think it was, it was you weren't feared. allowed to, were it, you? Yeah, it was feared. You know, mm. you couldn't do it. And like when I became like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, it was like. I was so totally lost I, and I was just like, I need to get out of here. I, that's why I went. That's why I left. And um, so I went down there to Brisbane and then that's when I found myself, you know, and that's when I, I learned that I had to become, I, that I was going to be a leader. I was learning of other people so that I could become, um, take on a leadership role when I came back, you know. So that's all those old ancestors, thanks to them, you know, they've guided me and that's how my life is sort of evolving and it's um all intertwining quite nicely, even though I, I, my, most of my days are chaos and I don't get to sit down and paint and I get a bit resentful and I'm just like, I just want to paint today, I just want to paint. I don't want to be bothered by anyone, I just want to be left alone. And Because um, painting's your 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 downtime, your peace yeah, time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, um, yeah, and I just, um, that's when the head becomes uncluttered and, there's, and when I've sat down, I could sit for like seven or eight hours straight, you know, and um, I deliberately packed up all my stuff from home I don't have any art equipment at home because I know that if I'm at home, I'm at home and I'm not to be doing stuff that I usually do in my art studio. So so you paint in your studio in Gill Street here? Yes, that's that's where it all happens. That's People can watch you paint? They can watch me paint, but they just like, yeah, okay. And then I am turn around and I just talk. I just They just come in and I just talk. It happens. You know, I'm just like that sort of person. I just, I make time, you know, and I'm very giving of my time and I do. And people go crook at me and they say, you know, like, you shouldn't be so give. You know, like, you've got your own time. You've got your own projects and stuff that's going on. I said, but that's what makes my life interesting, you know. And um, I can't be in a, I chose to work on my own um, and establish my own art studio and things like that because it, it after many years, although I've worked in so many different places and I just, it, it um, that's not where my love is, you know, and like you can get caught up in a job and do it for many years, but your heart isn't in it, you know, and that's not me. And I just think, you know, I want to enjoy what it is that I do. So it has to be, um, revolves around something that I love and which is art. Art yeah. and culture. Art and culture. So 
So I've got a lot more, um, my, I've got a lot of dreams for my community and what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story with me. That's okay. I hope you get something out of it. I think we got a lot out of it. Oh. <laughs> Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.